Welcome to It's Time, the daily teaching ministry from the River Christian Fellowship in Twin Falls, Idaho. On today's episode of It's Time, we'll listen to Senior Pastor Mike Kessler as he teaches in the book of 2 Samuel. This book is especially important as it focuses entirely on the life of King David, the line of Christ. Examining the triumphs and troubles of David, we can learn a lot about being a person after God's own heart. With the timely study on 2 Samuel, here's Pastor Mike. Verse 6, it says, And the king and his men went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites and the inhabitants of the land who spoke to David, saying, You shall not come in here, but the blind and the lame will repel you, thinking David cannot come here. Now, the Jebusites, who were the inhabitants of Jerusalem, said to David, saying, you know what? We're going to put up some guards to keep you out. You know what we're going to use? We're going to use the blind and the lame are going to keep you out. That's how weak, David, you are. You say that to a king, you got problems. Now, evidently, uh, the Jebusites probably trusted a little bit in the, in the natural geography of Jerusalem itself. You have the Kidron Valley on one side. You have, you have a lot of natural obstacles that would protect Jerusalem and then also the wall. And so they're poking fun at David saying, well, our blind and our lame, those are our gods, uh, guards and they'll keep you out. Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion, that is the city of David or Jerusalem. Now David said on that day, Whoever climbs up by the way of the water shaft and defeats the Jebusites, the lame and the blind who are halted by David's soul, he shall be chief and captain. Therefore say, the blind and the lame shall not come into the house. It's interesting here that David is making a little bit of fun here. Uh, And and he says, listen, whoever uh, goes up there and takes that city, I'm going to make you a captain. Now, it's kind of interesting because we, we think about this and we maybe don't completely understand it, but, you know, if you're in the military and uh, you have no thought or hope of ever becoming anything more than what you are, friends, this was winning the lottery. He's saying, who's ever brave enough to go up and take that city, you're going you're gonna to get a big reward. This is the same thing, by the way, that happened to David. We remember uh, Saul said, whoever goes out and kills the giant, I'm going to let him marry my daughter. I'm going, to give him, I'm going to give him a tax-free status for the rest of his life. He won't have to pay income tax. And and uh, sounded pretty good. And so David went out to kill the giant. Not to get the goodies. He just went out because he didn't like what the giant was saying about his God and about the nation of Israel. So David goes out now, and he basically is making the same offer. Whoever takes the city of Jerusalem, I'm going to make you a captain over the guard. That's a pretty good deal. So David dwelled in the stronghold and called it the city of David. Then David built all around from Milo and inward. So David went on and became great, and so the Lord God of hosts was with him. That's a pretty neat thing to be able to say. Now, now friends, again, when we look at this, one of the things you have to remember is this. David didn't do everything right. And in, in, in fact, as we get more into his life, we'll see how much David didn't do right And yet David was still after a man after God's own heart. And one of the things that's interesting is even at this point in his life where he becomes king over Israel, you have to remember that he had fleed to the the side of the Philistines to seek refuge from Saul who was trying to kill him. 
And at one particular point, when uh, the Kenites, after he delivered them from the Amorites, he heard that they were under attack. Saul and his army with no way could could get to him in time. So David and his 600 men went and, and, and took on the Amorites and, and wiped them out. And the, the Kenites were delivered, a tribe, one, of the, one of the tribal towns of Israel, and they were delivered. And, and David felt pretty good about himself. And he thought, well, no, I got some friends. These guys, I just delivered them from the, these evil people that were carrying away all their goodies and camels and all that kind of stuff. But he went and prayed. He heard that Saul was on his way. When he heard that of this great victory that God had given David against the Amorites to save the Kenites, Saul heard about it. And so he goes, let's go, let's go to where the Kenites are and let's capture David and we'll kill him. Well, uh, David heard about that and he thought, well, yeah, but I just delivered the Kenites. They'll be on my side, won't they? And so he said, well, he went and prayed. And he said, Lord, will they deliver me into the hand of Saul? And God said, they'll deliver you into the hand of Saul. And David knew that he was in trouble, so he went and packed it up and headed for the land of the Philistines. And I think David's feelings were really hurt over all of that. And here he was a war hero. He killed Goliath. Everybody knew who David was. And yet the people still, because of their fickleness, would not stand up for what was right. Well, it's noteworthy that uh, David uh, was called upon to go to war against Israel. And on the day that all the armies of the Philistines were showing up to fight against Israel, David shows up as well, and his guys. And somebody said, well, was he just doing that as a show to kind of show up to, you know, make them think that he was really a Philistine? And you know, friends, as I really look at that, I I don't think so. I think David's feelings were hurt. I think he was mad at Israel. I think he felt that he was traitored upon. Maybe sometimes a little bit like you and me when we feel that maybe God's forgotten us or something. And, and, and so he was there. Well, he was getting ready to go out to battle. And you know what stopped him from going out to battle? It wasn't David. The Lord of the Philistines were walking by and they said, hey, wait a minute. Well, isn't that David and his mighty men? Yes. Yeah, he's going to go fight with us. He's on our side. No, we're going to get out there and fight with Israel. And all of a sudden, David's going to get warm fuzzies. This is a Mike paraphrase, but you can check it out. David's going to get warm fuzzies uh, 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 and he's going to get that warm hearted, tender feeling, down home feeling again. And right in the middle of battle, you watch, he'll turn on us and here he'll be on our, he'll be in our ranks and he'll be slaughtering us. No, we're not going to let him go in. And so the Lord of the Philistines would not allow him to go and fight against his old homeland, you might say. And it was really an interesting thing because I believe God delivered David from doing something very foolish. Has God ever delivered you from doing something foolish? (laughs) I think God does that all the time. I think that's one of the reasons why we're his children and we call him father is because we have a daddy that keeps us doing... Have you ever been around children and see how long it takes them to do foolish things? Oh my goodness. If you haven't, watch them sometimes. You know, moms and dads, if you're a new mom and dad, I just want to tell you something. If you ever hear your kids getting real quiet, don't think they're little angels in the bedroom. You'll go in there and they will have colored all your walls. They're preoccupied. They don't need to talk. They don't, they don't need to make noise. They're decorating. Or you'll go in there and you'll hear your two little kids that normally are fighting with each other and all of a sudden it's real quiet. And you'll walk in there and here's big sister with the scissors cutting little brother's hair. Amen? Some of you know these things. Um, I, 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 that's why we have to have a heavenly father. Friends, we'll be cutting sister's hair. 
and coloring the walls. And our artwork sometimes is not appreciated by others, as you well know. Well, we find here, David went on and became great, and the Lord of God of hosts was with him. I think that's a wonderful verse there, verse 10. Verse 11, Then Hiram, king of Tyre, sent messengers to David and cedar trees and carpenters and masons, and they built David a house. Now that's pretty cool. Uh, it builds David a, a cedar house. Now I don't know if you have ever been around cedar trees, you know, cedar chests, and they smell so, ah, smell so good. Well, that's they, what they built David's house out of, with cedar trees. And what was really nice, as a present from Hiram, the king of Tyre, sent David this present. What did he send him? He sent him a house. Now that's a nice gift, isn't it? Wouldn't it be nice when he calls you up and says, hey, I'm just going to come over and build you a house. Ah, that's a pretty good deal. Well, actually, what he was doing was making an alliance with David, saying, David, we're on your side. And so David knew that the Lord had established him as king over Israel, and that he had exalted his kingdom for his people Israel's sake. Now, again, this is a really important observation that David makes. And we found a little bit of a fragment. We didn't talk about it when we read it, but we'll go back to it in just a second. That David made a covenant with Israel when he became king. And here again, we find that David recognized that God was uh, blessing him because of Israel's sake. Uh, I, I look at that interestingly enough because it isn't just thou, that I'm a king, I'm a king, but that he had made a covenant with the people that he would watch over them and protect them and bless them. That was the covenant that the king would make to the people so that they know that, they, that he could trust them. So he says here in verse 13, um, or the last part of verse 12, he had exalted his kingdom, God had exalted his kingdom for his people's sake. Well, now we get into David's family. And David took more concubines and wives from Jerusalem. Now, he was a busy fellow. Um, after he had come from Hebron, also more sons and more daughters were born to David. Now, this, friends, is, uh, was prohibited, actually, um, by God uh, in the role of a king. And the reason why is because everybody that married the king uh, wanted her son to be the next king. But you got to realize that he had a lot of other wives as well who also had first sons. And so you can imagine the infighting within the family, the chiding, because even though they shared the same father, they had different mothers, and yet they were all probably the first son of some of these different mothers, all wanting to eventually think they were going to be the king. And this is why oftentimes you'd find these uh, internal slaughters that would go on within king's families because they are all jockeying for position and they didn't care who they killed. So uh, we find here that David had all these uh, kids. And so uh, these are the names of those who were born to him in Jerusalem. Uh, Shammaiah, um, uh, Shobab. If you ever don't know what to name your kid, these are some names to consider. Hey, Shobab. Yeah, just a thought. Okay, uh, Nathan, Solomon. Now Solomon, we know, eventually did go on to be the next king over Israel. Uh, and, it, and, and what's interesting here is it came from a, 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 one of his later wives, in fact, one that he actually had an affair with, 
uh, and had her husband killed. So this is where we get into some kind of the dark side of, of David. But you know what's interesting? Solomon was the child of that relationship um, with that woman. And, and so, um, well, the first one died, the, the one that he got trouble over. But the second son, Solomon, born to Bathsheba, was the one that eventually became king over Israel. And so, um, Ibithar, Elusha, Nepheg, Japhiah, uh, Elishamiah, Eldahiah, or Elda, Elahiada, however you want to say it, and Elizabeth. Okay. Now, when the Philistines heard that they had anointed David king over Israel, all the Philistines went up to search for David. And David heard of it and went down to the stronghold. And the Philistines also went, went and deployed themselves in the valley of Ruthen. And David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up against the Philistines? Will you deliver them into my hand? And the Lord said to David, Go up, and I will doubtless deliver the Philistines into your hand. And so David went to Baal Perizim, and David defeated them there, and said, The Lord has broken through my enemies before me, uh, like the breaking, the breakthrough of water. Therefore, he called the name of that place Baal Perizim. And uh, they, they, they left, and they left their uh, images there, and David and his men uh, carried them away. It's interesting here that David comes up against the Philistines, uh, an old enemy of Israel, an old enemy of his, then a place where he sought sanctuary for a while. Now they're coming after him as they see now David. Uh, they knew David was a mighty man of war. And so that's why I think they were scared and they thought, well, we better attack David right away because the longer he's in power, the more powerful he become. And so we better take him while we can. And so not realizing it's really the Lord's battle. And so he said, Lord, shall I go up? And God says, yeah, go up and I'll deliver him into your hand. Verse 22 is really important. I quote this quite often, uh, this passage of scripture, because it's so important. I talked about it uh, Sunday night a little bit. It says, then the Philistines went up once again and deployed themselves in the Valley of Rotham. Same, same scenario as before. And David inquired of the Lord. He said, and, 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 and David inquired of the Lord. And the Lord said, you shall not go up, circle around behind them and come up from them in front of the mulberry trees. And so it will be that when you hear the sound of the marching of the troops in the, of the mulberry trees, you shall then advance quickly for then the Lord will go out before you and strike the camp of the Philistines. And David did so, the Lord, as the Lord had commanded him, and he drove back the Philistines from uh, Geba as far as Gezer. This is what's so amazing, friends. Same battle. And rather, instead of saying, well, God, you told me what to do before, I'm just going to use that same formula, and I'll just go out and attack them as I did before, and you'll deliver them into my hand. God says, you shall not go up as you did before. This time you're going to circle around behind them and wait for them in the mulberry trees and basically do a surprise attack on them. This is the way you're going to do it this time. You see, this is where many people err in studying Scripture. They think it's a formula book. You know, add part A to slot B, part B to part C, and then the result is happy. I'm serious. People look at the Bible as a formula. I've actually had people come and tell me, they say, well, Mike, I've been seeking God's will. I said, how do you do that? Well, I just do this. 
And Judas hung himself. Oh, that can't be right. Eeny, beeny, chilly, beeny, God, speak to me. Go ye therefore and do likewise. A lot of people think the Bible is a, is, a, is a magic book. And friends, it's not. It's not so that we'll learn formulas. It's so that we'll learn God. And there's a big difference. People love formulas because if you have formulas, you don't have to inquire of the Lord. In other words, well, God, I know how your system works now. Thank you very much. This is all I need to do. Push the buttons and I get the Pepsi. You know, kind of thing. And God's here saying, no, it isn't. It isn't. It isn't the... The formula, it's the God of the formula, friends. And and this is the problem that people today still don't completely understand. And you'll see people all over saying, well, in order to get what you want, you just mindlessly blab it and grab it until you possess it. That's not the Bible. The Bible says the reason we don't get what we ask for is because we ask amiss. People sometimes will just read that Bible, ask whatever you want in my name and you shall have it. And people say, well, is this still true today? Absolutely it's true. But what is the context for that verse? To be in the will of God. Now, if you're not in the will of God, oftentimes you will find yourself praying for things that aren't really for the kingdom of heaven. They're for your own personal lusts. And James tells us this is why God doesn't answer your prayers. It's because there's a selfish motive in mind. And rather than God being the one that gets the glory once that prayer is answered, it's going to be me. Thank you, Jesus. And that's the problem. People look for formulas. You see, again, uh, uh, it's knowing the God of the Bible. See, it's, it's knowing that God will deliver. And yes, God does have a plan, but the plan is not what how to go up and fight a battle, it's going to God to get the battle plan. And oftentimes people don't catch that. And so they're looking for a formula. Well, all you do is got to get my book and then you'll figure out God's formula for success. You ever seen those? I have. You know, um, and, and there's all these different things. Friends, listen, it isn't that God doesn't want to bless us, but because he does. But the thing is, people are looking for formulas and program God right out of their life. They want to use what we might say godly principles. And yes, godly principles are real and should be instituted in all of our business dealings and our prayer lives and all those things. But the bottom line still is, if you're not going to God to get your daily battle plan, you're backsliding away from God. And people oftentimes don't realize that. They live on the inspiration uh, and, and, and the Christianity of yesteryear, yesterday. There's a lot to be said concerning the children of Israel. Remember when they came out of Egypt and God would put the fresh manna on the ground every morning. And if they took more than they could eat in a day, it spoiled on them. And I think that's significant to understand that Jesus said, that he was the bread of heaven that came down, he was the bread of life that came down from heaven. He was the manna, if you will. And you can't live on yesterday's Christianity. It just doesn't work. The Bible says his promises are new every morning. Jesus said it like this, give us this day our daily bread. And friends, the reason why that is, is so we don't fall into Christian formulas. I know many people that think, well, because they know the Lord or whatever, but they're following formulas rather than following a living God. And a living God will give you living direction. 
And even though the battle may always look the same, there's always different parameters every day concerning that. And if you're trying to uh, approach a spiritual problem in a formula, I'll tell you something, you're going to be, you're going to be messed up. What makes the difference is not the formula. There is a formula. The formula is go to God. But we don't want to do that all of the time. We want to look at the mechanical. How do you do this? Well, uh, uh, he went out and fought the battle. Uh, and so the Philistines come up the next time and I'm going to fight it just like I did the last time. Because that's what God told me to do the last time. Well, yeah, but it's a new war. Maybe the Philistines said, yeah, we won't get fooled again that way. And here God tips off David. Hey, listen, they're going to do it a different way this time. And it's about the time, friends, we trust in our intellect and our cunning and our craftiness that we program God right out of our life. I know God's always got a way to do what he wants to do. And friends, I found sometimes God will do it in spite of us. That's why God can even use donkeys in the Bible. Of people. God uses me. I'm one of God's children. Well, God uses donkeys too. And so, you know, God will use anybody that will allow him to use them. It's our privilege, you might say. It's our blessing to let God use us. But again, I don't want to approach God in a formula. You say, well, Mike, I don't think that's fair. Oh, yeah. Okay. What is our relationship with God? It's a relationship. Now, any relationship you know it can be dangerous if every time you see uh, your honey, hello, dear, how are you? Good to see you again. Thank you very much. Hello, dear, how are you? Good to see you. Thank you very much. Well, I said hello. Isn't that enough? I'm faithful in saying hello. In fact, every time I see hello, honey, how are you doing? Good to see you. Thank you very much. I say, and I don't change. I'm unwavering. But you know what else it is? It's dead. You see, we can get into a rut, and that rut will kill us if we don't seek the Lord. Again, that fresh manna that comes down from heaven. That's what you need. That's what feeds your soul. Everybody, do you know everybody has a hungry heart? I think there was a song written about that once. But you know what I'm convinced of? If you don't feed your heart what it needs, you'll kill it. And we have to think about what are we feeding our soul? Are we trying to feed our soul formulas? Are we trying to feed our soul a relationship with a living God who wants to bless you and kiss you on the forehead every day and tell you how much he loves you? Because, friends, that's what makes the difference. And we can be men of the word. We can be women of the word and not even know who God is anymore. You don't think it can happen? While they were plotting Jesus' death, there was rolls of scripture on the wall in those rooms where they were plotting not only Jesus' death, but Paul the Apostles and the others. You see, the thing is, you can know the word, but not know the author because you're not inspired. It's a formula. It's not really a living relationship. And so as we look at this, again, we see that God is the one who established David. And David understood that relationship. I pray tonight that the Lord just blesses you with that that desire to know him and that fellowship that he wants to have with you so that you will not feel lonely and forgotten. And if you find yourself in a tight place, all God's saying is, I'm setting you up to show you something really good. You go, wow, that's pretty cool, God, huh? Yeah. Because God wants to show you that he's bigger than your problem. Let's pray. Father, thank you tonight for your word. We thank you, God, that you speak to us through it. Lord, we see your faithfulness in David's life. And though, God, you made these promises to him, and 
There was really no way it would probably ever would have happened. David was living on the wrong side. He was in the camp of the Philistines, yet still called to be the next king of Israel. And Lord, you work these things out. You are faithful. Lord, we see the formulas that oftentimes we can try to invent when we just need to trust you. And so, Father, tonight, may your Holy Spirit guide us, guide our thoughts and our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. And that's Pastor Mike Kessler, Senior Pastor at the River Christian Fellowship with Second Samuel on It's Time. If you'd like to have your own copy of today's episode, you can obtain one for free from the daily iTunes podcast. If you want a hard copy, you can give us a call at 800-357-4226 to place your order. And while you do that, don't forget that 2 Samuel is part two of the first and second Samuel series available from the River Christian Fellowship. Please tune in next time for another relevant Bible study on It's Time. Yeah.